The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Happy Wednesday to you. It's uh, Bob McCallum. It's John Shannon on the uh, program for today. Oh, Robert. Motor car racing is our uh, focus uh, today. Uh, my best Jackie Stewart impersonation. See, the people, are, half the audience are going to have to Google Jackie Stewart now. See? You remember, you, remember, you remember when Jackie used to come on and talk about motor car racing? I, I, I sure do. But oh, I mean, there was... Greats of all time, Jackie Stewart. Sure. And, and, and you know, did the... One of the great guys to move from actually driving to the commentator booth to make the game, make the racing game um, more attractive to non-car racing people. That's what Stewart's, that's what his natural ability was. He didn't talk down to the guy who doesn't understand anything about car race. Well, I've watched car races off and on, you know, for my entire life. And the guy that, I mean, I remember Jackie Stewart. I mean, that's, you know, maybe it was because it was um, a part of my, well, certainly my younger days, maybe my youth. Um, but um, he was impactful. He, when he said stuff, it, it mattered. Um, maybe our guest today will wind up in a broadcast booth someplace. You think? Um, James Hinchcliffe, when we continue after these messages. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Bob McCown with uh, John Shannon and our uh, guest today. Mr. Shannon needs uh, no introduction. We'll give him one anyway. Oh. Uh, James Hinchcliffe is uh, with us from uh, the home office in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. You look good. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on, guys. Just uh, you know, mid season here and getting through the the daily grind of being an IndyCar driver. Well, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? What do you, what are you doing with your days? Well, yeah, you know, we just came off a, a doubleheader race weekend in Detroit this past weekend, which is always. You know, it's always when you circle on the schedule as, as a tough weekend, it's a physical track and having to do the doubleheader, you know, the back-to-back races, uh, you know, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, always kind of beat you up a little bit. And then yesterday had to go straight out to a, a go-kart track to do some, some filming and some training out there. And today it's into the shop for engineering meetings and preparation for the race that we've got this coming weekend up at Road America in Wisconsin. So it's uh, definitely a busy stretch for us right now. How much do you spend on the uh, in the car uh, on a regular off week, uh, like between the Sunday and the a Sunday and a Sunday? Say, James, uh, zero. <laughs> we well, I mean, we will get only the race weekends. You know, we are very limited in our testing, so it's one of the really difficult things and really unique things about our sport. You know, is you can't just go out and practice whenever you want. Uh, if you want to practice, you're either using a simulator or maybe getting into a go kart, something like that. But 
to actually drive the Indy car, you know, we're heavily regulated uh, by the rules on how many times we get to go do that. And it's only about three test days during the season. So, uh, so yeah, in the average week, you're not really in the car, you're doing kind of all your, all your learning and, and all your practicing on the race weekends. Why a go-kart? Is there something about a go-kart that simulates an Indy car? There, there's kind of two things, <clears throat> excuse me. One, the, the physicality of the shifter carts especially is tremendous and it's great physical training. It's great reactionary training. You know, you're still driving a, 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 a motor vehicle with a very similar power to weight ratio actually of an Indy car. Um, and they're easily accessible. That's kind of the, the, the cheapest and, and easiest way to get behind the wheel of something motorized that can be driven quick at a racetrack. And so, yeah, it's all sort of scaled down, but fundamentally it's, it's very similar. Uh, you made a, um, um, a change this year with Andre back to, and you're going to Andretti back with Honda again. What's the difference between Honda and Chevy as a driver, when you get into the car, are they tangibly different instruments? Are they, are they, do they drive ride differently? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously the, the regulations are such that both manufacturers are operating in, you know, pretty tight confines, Sure. but at the end of the day, yeah, you do notice a difference. Um, certain, you know, one manufacturer might focus more on drivability features of the engine and that might take away some absolute top performance, you know, in terms of top speed and horsepower and one might focus just on the top speed or just on fuel economy. And maybe the drivability takes a little bit of a hit. It's, it's kind of one of these things where you sort of have to rob Peter to pay Paul for some of these, if you want better fuel economy, you're probably going to take a hit in horsepower and you know, the opposite is true to go the other way. So depending on the year and depending on the competition, manufacturers were sort of focus on a certain area and, uh, and really develop that. So when you jump from one to the other, you do notice differences for sure. So how, how did <laughs> Bob touched on you going back to the Andretti group? Um, is it, being a, a free agent, is it like being a free agent in baseball and basketball and hockey and football or how, how do you, how do you define what your negotiations were? How does that work that you move between two teams? Yeah, well, it's, it's a little more complicated in our sport just because of the sponsorship element. You know, when, when a team is hiring a driver, you're not just hiring somebody that's going to drive your car. You're also hiring somebody that's representing your partners. And they do have a big say in, in who sits in that car. You know, that driver is essentially going to be a spokesperson for that company and, and represent that company's, you know, their brain and their ideals. And so they, they do have a say in, uh, in who the driver is because of what they can bring sort of in the off-track element you know, our sport is very multifaceted in that sense. You do have to be competitive in the world on track, but you have to be, you know, competitive and keep up with what your other, other drivers and colleagues can do outside of the car, what value they can bring to their sponsors in that sense. So yeah, it's a little bit complicated. And um, we have some great partners this year with, with Genesis and Capstone and, and coming back to the Andretti organization, you know, it, it, I never wanted to leave in the first place. You know, we, we never really wanted to, to part ways at the end of 2014, but you know, sponsor, sponsor issues meant that we had to. So it was kind of nice coming back and it's, it's kind of like coming home a little bit. And especially this year being involved with the, the Steinbrenner side of the organization with Andretti Steinbrenner Autosport. So a cool, uh, a cool other sporting tie in there with, with Georgia fourth being part of that program, but it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, been fun to come back. 
How long did it take to get finalized? Then I mean, you make if it's that complex, it must have taken some time. It sure does. Yeah, I mean, you know, with uh, the the split at the end of nineteen with my former team, it, it happened so late that you know we weren't able to get a full time ride for twenty twenty. So we did that partial season uh, with Andretti Autosport in twenty twenty, and I think we so we penned that deal probably in late February, early March. And pretty much started right then and there on the full-time ride and the full-time comeback in, in 2021, which we probably got done around October. So it's, you know, it, it was, it was six months of getting it to that point, And then, you know, six months to get over the finish line for that full season deal. So it, yeah, there's a, a lot of moving parts. So you didn't get in the car right away this year. Um, you were delayed a bit. I, um, if I remember correctly, uh, you had some sort of ailment. Um, did you ever reveal what that was? <laughs> well, we did not. No. <laughs> Would you but, like to? Uh, no. Yeah. We <laughs> not particularly. No. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. We, I, I had something that I was dealing with. Um, you know, after, I, it was an injury that happened kind of later in the calendar year last year, uh, and then tied that in with some travel restrictions. Uh, you know, with with COVID and crossing the border was a little bit of a challenge. Uh, my father was was quite ill, and you know we were dealing with that, and then you know eventually his passing. So there were a lot of things at the start of the year that uh, that sort of took precedent over over the testing, but we managed to get a few test days in before the season started. So it, uh, it wasn't too big a deal in that sense. Most people are familiar with your horrific accident a few years back. A any lingering uh, pangs of pain or uh, has that changed you at all? No, I mean, that, honestly, in that one, I was lucky on I me mean, on so many levels. I was lucky just to make it through that, but um, just to add to the luck of that whole thing was the fact that I really, I really had no, no lasting side effects. You know, there was, there was nothing that, that carried through, through all the injuries, everything recovered hundred uh, percent, and was back to normal in that sense. So from a physical standpoint, you know, no, it, it, it left me with some cool scars, but that's just a, a story to tell really. And, um, you know, on the personal side, whenever you have an accident that brings you to that point you know to basically staring death in the face without trying to sound too dramatic about it yeah there are things i think personally that that changes about you and it makes you refocus in in certain ways and appreciate certain things and you know understand what is and isn't important and and stop worrying about small stuff you know didn't Did hurt your dancing. dancing sorry i was gonna say it didn't hurt james's dancing i mean he was on dancing with the stars bob <laughs> um yes um, care to discuss the uh, relative merits of that exercise, Mr. Hinch? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it's probably something I wouldn't have agreed to do before the accident, but the accident made me a little bit more willing to take some chances. So, well, speaking of me? the accident, let me ask you, um, how, how much do you think it's honestly changed the way you drive, the way you view a race, um, at the beginning? are you slightly more cautious? No, it didn't. It didn't change me professionally in any capacity. You know, I, I made a very cognizant effort from basically the minute that I woke up and understood what had happened to me to sort of disassociate what had happened from the race car, from the racetrack, from the sport in general. You know, I, I didn't think, that I got hurt in a race car. I just sort of looked at it as I got hurt. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter why. And I just need to get better now to get back into a car. 
And I think that mentality throughout my recovery and, and not thinking like, oh, a race car did this to me, or this is why I'm in this position. This is why I'm in this pain. I think that helped a lot. I think the fact that thankfully I have no memory of the accident, um, just, you know, due to the concussion that I, that I suffered during it. Um, and the fact that it was, it was a mechanical failure, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't driver error. It wasn't a mistake that I made. So I never had to sort of question what my process was that led to that accident happening. It was really something outside of my control. So yeah, sure. It makes you look at the fact that your life is literally in the hands of the people that build these cars and the parts that get bolted on these cars, but that's just a risk we're willing to take. And, and we accept. Have you watched the video of the accident? Many times. And how do you react to it? Do you react to it dispassionately as if it's effectively somebody else? Pretty much. Yeah. I actually went on a, on a strange fact finding mission after the accident happened. It was a very bizarre failure that caused it in the first place. The, the subsequent events that led to my injury were almost unheard of. Um, everything about it was a one in a million never seen before sort of, you know, set of circumstances. And so I was really fascinated with trying to figure out exactly what happened and how it happened. And whether that was talking to the engineers about the car or talking to the doctors about my specific injuries and, you know, the, the process that they went through to get me out of the car and into the ambulance and to the operating room. And, uh, I, I learned a lot through that whole process, but yeah, it, it did feel sort of disassociated, you know, it didn't feel like I was necessarily watching my story, but just a story. Do you have, do you have memory of that trip to the hospital or were you still, um, were you out of it? Yeah. I mean, I, as far as I was concerned, I was driving my car happily. And the next thing I remember was laying on a table post-op in the hospital with a bunch of bright lights staring at my face and a bunch of concerned doctors standing around me thinking something has gone very wrong. <laughs> James, what, what does it speak to as far as the safety of an Indy car uh, after the accident? Does it make you more confident that the cars are safe or does it give you a bit of a challenge? No, it honestly, it makes me so impressed at how safe the sport really is. You know, the, the particular impact that I had without certain safety advancements that we've made with things like the headrest technology and the Hans device that we wear, the safer barrier, I would have been dead regardless of the injury that I had. There was a, five other things that could have killed me in that accident. And even since then, They've made changes to the car to prevent, you know, the, the piercing of the tub by the suspension piece that ultimately injured me. Uh, they've done things to prevent that from really being able to happen again. We've obviously now added the aero screens to the car uh, in 2020, which was a huge safety advancement. It's really the first of its kind in, in open wheel racing. The, the exposure of the driver's head was kind of the Achilles heel still for us in terms of, you know, driver injuries and, and specifically fatalities. And now we have, you know, you're never going to solve the problem, but man, we've taken a really big step with that aero screen. So the, the fight for continuing to improve safety in the sport, it, it never stops. And there are people that work on it tirelessly and it allows all the drivers, you know, to sleep well at night. Um, you, you, you operate in a sport where technology is, is, paramount to success in many ways um certainly driver skill is a big factor in that of course um but essentially the technology has a governor on it um it has limitations um 
car, these cars, correct me if I'm wrong, these cars could go faster if we allowed them to. Is that true? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the way the rules are structured in IndyCar are very specific for a few reasons. One of them is, is to control speeds because at some point you're going to run out of things to do to dissipate energy and, and stop drivers from being hurt. There is sort of a threshold and we kind of flirt with that, that speed bracket right now. And then the second one is cost. You know, if you just mm -hmm. threw an unlimited budget at an IndyCar team with a blank rule book and said, have at it, the, the car that you would design would just be awesome. It would be the most incredible machine on earth. It'd be a rocket ship, um, really. It, basically, it would be a fighter jet with wheels, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and it, would be, it would be nearly impossible for a human being to operate it at its limit just because of the physiological limits of the human body, to be quite honest. So for the sake of keeping, you know, speeds and control and safety controlled and keeping costs down, yeah, like I said, just like the engines, the cars themselves are built within a, a box of rules to sort of keep it in that realm. Well, you wouldn't be on an oval or a, a road track. You'd be at the Bonneville Salt Flats, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not, not too many turns there. No. Uh, James Hinchcliffe is with us. Take a quick break and come back after these messages. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Bob McCowan. It's uh, John Shannon and James Hinchcliffe, the IndyCar driver, is uh, with us. We were talking about speed. Um, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by somebody like yourself, and you and I have talked on many occasions over, over the past uh, however many years, and um, everybody tries to relate. You're driving a car at 200 plus miles an hour. Um, is there a comparable road speed? I mean, you're not, you're like every other IndyCar driver, you, you, you don't drive an IndyCar on the highway. You drive uh, um, whatever you drive. Um, is going 80 or 90 miles an hour to you as fast as it is to me? Or do you feel like we're just cruising along here? It's all relative to the vehicle that you're in. You know, 80 or 90 miles an hour in a, you know, in a Ferrari would feel fairly boring to both of us. Yep. 80 or 90 miles an hour in a 1959 Austin Healey Sprite would be terrifying to anybody with a brain. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, you know, and so 200 miles an hour in an Indy car on the right track actually isn't that scary because they're built to go that fast and faster. You know, it, it's all a little bit relative, but until you're taking a car to its limit, regardless of what that limit is, that's when the feeling of speed really, really hits you. And that's when sort of that fear factor kicks in. And, and that can be at a variety of different speeds. Well, when does the, when does the out of control factor kick in or the I'm still under in control? Um, is, is, is that at any speed within any car for you? 
it's very circuit dependent. You know, a place like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, once you get above 225 miles an hour, then it starts feeling pretty on edge and you're having to focus very hard on keeping that thing going straight. But you go to a, a track like Detroit, you know, a street circuit or Toronto, a street circuit, and there are corners that are, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour, right. but going, th- but they're very tight. You know, that's highway speed, you know, it's hundred kilometers an hour through a corner rather than in a straight line on the 401. And if that's the limit of that car in that corner, then yeah, you can feel that limit regardless of, of the speed. So it's all very, it's all very sort of situational. Do you have a preference ovals versus uh, road courses? Honestly, no. You know, I, I grew up road racing and I'll be the first to admit, and I have many times that oval racing was not something I was particularly keen on earlier in my career, but as I got to do it more, as I got more familiar with the craft and with the style of racing, you know, required at those types of tracks, I started doing better first of all, but I also really started enjoying it more. And ultimately that's what I think sets the IndyCar series apart from any other form of motorsports, honestly, is the diversity in the tracks. You know, you've got your permanent road courses, your temporary street circuits, your super speedways, your short ovals. And though all of them have similarities in the fact that you're racing an IndyCar around them, the specific skill set required to be successful at each of them, the, the setups required by the engineers on the cars for each of them are so unique that, you know, to be over an entire season, to be running near the top of the championship requires just an incredible diverse skill set. And, and I think that's a really fun challenge. How, how, how does driving a road course versus uh, an oval, how does that change? I mean, isn't it acceleration and gearing down at the appropriate time still anyway, or how does it change? Yeah. So, you know, on the ovals, we don't break really. So it's more of a momentum game. It's that's the way Bob drives. Bob doesn't, <laughs> drive. Bob doesn't break either. So that's, it works sometimes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of understanding how the car behaves at those speeds, especially when you're running around other cars, you know, on the ovals, they are hypersensitive to the, the, the wake in the air, the dirty air that another car produces. Um, they're more sensitive to wind conditions and temperature changes, things like that. We're obviously on a, on a road or street track. You're very focused on, you know, how and when you break and how and when you apply the throttle and things like that. And so it's, it's just a different kind of timing. You have to be a lot, ironically, you've got to be a lot slower the faster you're going with your inputs. So the way you move your hands, the way you move your feet, it has to be a lot more not calculated, but it does have to be at a slower pace because at those speeds, sudden movements and sudden inputs can have catastrophic effects. So, so just Sorry. on you're at, you're at road America this week in Wisconsin. Um, you can't, you mean, you're not, you have Saturday, Friday and Saturday to, to practice on the course. Is that fair? So, but would you be, would you be mapping out every movement today and tomorrow about how you go through the road course since you'd be familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of drivers use visualization and things like that. We study a lot of video, onboard video from years past of, of, of ourselves and of, of our competitors. Um, tomorrow, I'm actually going to the Honda simulator here in, in Indianapolis, and 
we'll do an entire day of, of virtually pounding around Road America, practicing, you know, different driving things for me, different setup things for the engineers. So there, there's a lot of prep that goes into it before we get to a track, even though it's one we've been to a bunch of times in the past. I can only imagine what those simulators are like. Give us some kind of an idea of how real that experience is. It's so the simulators themselves are sort of modeled after flight simulators. You yeah. know, it's a two story room. It's sort of a hex pod with a, a full chassis inside of it. So it totally mimics, you know, the feel, the environment of an Indy car. It can move on a six post hydraulic rig, throwing you all over the room to try to simulate the G force. And honestly, it's it's 95% accurate. It is it is shocking how accurate they are able to make the car models and the track models and the tire models. Um, it's it, it lacks that little bit of feel that you get sort of that that seat of the pants feel that you get from the race car itself. And and obviously the G force can never truly be mimicked outside of the car. But it is it is amazing how accurate they can be. You, you know differences in your driving style that you apply in the simulator will have the same effect there that they will in the, in the real car. So it's a tremendous learning tool, uh, especially if you're trying to learn a new circuit, because the track models especially are incredibly accurate. And that's even true of video games these days, you know, oh, sure. you have a, a PlayStation and you're running Gran Turismo or whatever, you know, they, uh, it, it is very impressive how close the tracks are to real life. So now having run all these tracks, um, there's almost nothing new for you. You've done it for years and years and years. You really have to, yeah, I mean, you, it probably takes you a few minutes, not more, to familiarize yourself with your lines, where you want to be, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a fundamental difference in driving the two manufacturers' cars in not setup, but how you drive a particular course? Is there something about the Honda that allows you to do something you couldn't do in the Chevy or vice versa? I think the biggest thing is uh, it, it kind of goes back to a little bit what we were chatting about earlier in the, in the differences between the engines and the, the big one is drivability. And, and that is controlled by a, a variety of different, um, different factors. The engines themselves um, are, you know, they're, they're twin turbo and, and how the turbochargers build up and produce the power can be manipulated very specifically by the, by the manufacturers themselves. They then also have a, a fly-by wire throttle. So it's essentially a remote controlled throttle pedal. There's not a, a cable back to the engine or anything. It's a little sensor that says, all right, if the pedal's here, the throttle's there and you can manipulate we call it the, the pedal map. And so the, it's essentially a chart where if you take a pedal position from zero to a hundred, you can correlate where the actual throttles are and you can manipulate that line. So it doesn't have to be a linear line. You can make it specific. So that way at 15% throttle, you maybe actually already have 25% of the, of the engine running, um, which can help you in certain corners, get the power down, get the exits you want. So there are differences in how the engines behave when applying the throttle. And that's going to change a little bit how you drive and even how you set the car up in some cases. Brake going into the brake before the turn and accelerate <laughs> through the turn. That's the one thing I, I, I learned when I went to drive. Right. Um, that will always be the same. <laughs> that will always be the same, no matter the car, the track, anywhere else. Right. Um, Correct. 
you are now 34 years old. Um, have you thought about the end when you uh, will have had enough of this? And I'm not suggesting it's any too soon, but have you thought about it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think every driver, you know, I think we all sort of live in this constant state of fear that we've already raced our last race and didn't know it, you know, and certainly when you've been at this level of the sport for a decade, you know, I've been very lucky to have had a career that long. Like you say, I'm, I'm not ready to hang up the helmet just yet, but I realistically have more races behind me than I do in front of me. And you, yeah, you do sort of think about that moment, you know, when you think it's going to come. Cause I think most drivers just know, I think you kind of wake up one day and I think a lot of athletes are the same, you know, you wake up one day and it no longer makes sense. The, the sacrifices, the risks, no. the effort, it just, it stops, it stops adding up in your brain. And, and I think the day that happens, you know, that's, that's when you have to make that decision and, and make that call on, on when you time your exit. Um, I think a lot of cases, especially in motorsports, that decision is made for you. <laughs> a lot of guys are retired, whether they like it or not. So you kind of have to be open to, to all possibilities and uh, you just got to keep doing your job to the best of your abilities and, until hopefully you get the chance to make that call on your own. Do you, do you notice change in your reaction time from when you started? I mean, uh, you talk about, again, pro, other pro athletes talk about timing. Timing is so important. Obviously, ult the ultimate issue in your sport. Do, do you notice any change in yours? I haven't, no. And, you know, I, I train six days a week with a, a company here in, in Indianapolis that, that focuses on, on racing drivers. And uh, we do an awful lot of reaction work and hand-eye coordination work. And, you know, we're, we're training that part of our brain as much as we are training our bodies. Right. And, you know, you look at the sport right now, there is this youth movement coming in. A lot of young drivers that have come up from the Indy Light Series that are immediately on the pace and, and fighting for podiums and fighting for wins. But then on the other hand, you still have all these established drivers, some guys, you know, healthily into their 40s that are also just as competitive. And if anything, have, you know, the experience card to play on top of that. And so it's definitely doable. You know, if, if you keep training and, and you take care of yourself, there's, there's nothing that stops you from running at this level, you know, past the age of 40, if, if that's your, if that's your desire, some people lose the desire to do that, you know, uh, before necessarily the reaction times fall off. What haven't you, uh, what haven't you driven that you want to drive? Honestly, I would, I would love to test a Formula One car at some point. You know, I, I, I know obviously that racing them is not, not uh, a possibility, but just a, a good, honest test day in, in a relatively modern F1 car would be something I would very much enjoy. Well, you've, you, there, there are guys that you race with that have driven Formula One cars before. What do they tell you the difference is? The biggest thing is, is weight. Um, you know, they're, they're considerably lighter than an Indy car, which just, that's just pure performance. You know, weight is the enemy of a race car in, in most ways. Uh, they do have the hybrid engine. So they've got quite a bit more power now uh, compared to us. We do have hybrid technology coming, you know, the next sort of two to three years for Indy car are, are a big transition in terms of the types of engines that we use and, and the format of the engines. So we're going to be much closer to their horsepower in, uh, in about two years time. But yeah, the, the, the big one is just, is the weight. So they can, they can be a lot more nimble. They can break a lot later. They can turn a lot quicker just because of, because of that. I'm, I'm naive, James. So why, why is F1 out of the 
out of the question for you? I, just at, at my age, at this phase, to, to try to make that move now is is nearly impossible. So it's it's not even one that you'd entertain, to be honest. So uh, before we let you go, um, and I'm, I probably asked you this question um, in the past, but I'm going to ask it again because I don't remember the answer. If, uh, if, assuming I asked it. Have, I, I guess you've thought about what you might do when you're not racing anymore. Um, I think we all think about what will I do when I'm done doing this. Do you know what that is? And has your, has your thought process on that changed dramatically over the years? You know, I, I was really lucky when I was uh, in the junior categories trying to get into IndyCar. I got the opportunity to sit alongside uh, a, a gentleman who was doing the international broadcasts for what was Champ Car at the time and, and sit in on the, on the booth with him. And I, I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed that side of it, if I'm honest. I mean, it was watching racing and talking about it, which I would do for free. Um, but you know, they, they gave me a cool opportunity to, to kind of test that, test that waters a little bit. And, uh, even last year when I had a partial season, you know, I was approached by NBC to do some work on the, on the TV broadcast side and, and thoroughly enjoyed that again, still, you know, 10 years later. So for me, I've kind of always had in the back of my mind, transitioning to the broadcasting side of it. And I definitely want to stay involved in the sport. Um, I'm already a partner in a management company to help, you know, young drivers navigate the crazy world that is motorsports. So I, I think I'm always going to have, you know, my, uh, my hand in the racing world one way or another. Never tell them you'll work for free, James. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, unless you have to work for free. Um, we, uh, we wish you uh, continued success and, um, uh, I don't think the end is, um, at hand yet for, uh, James Hinchcliffe and, uh, we hope much success still to come. Uh, you've always been generous with your time, uh, for us and we thank you very much for, uh, today. Um, all the best and, uh, hopefully we'll see you face to face pretty soon. All right. That will be wonderful guys. Looking forward to it. Thanks as always for having me on. Thanks James. James Hinchcliffe. We'll come back with more after these messages. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Again, our thanks to uh, James Hinchcliffe for uh, joining us on the program today. You know, we will remember, um, you know, we, there's not been a shortage of significant uh, Canadian drivers on the international scene, mostly in IndyCar, mm -hmm. but a little bit in, um, uh, in Formula One too. Um, Villeneuve, of course. Um, Both of them. Yeah. But Hinch is one of those guys who has been, and maybe it's because we've met him on numerous occasions, but he is, he's so open, so friendly, so giving with his time um, that, um, you know, you, you, you kind of feel like you know him. And um, I guess we but do. It, but isn't that, isn't that Bob? And this is the one thing that we, I think we're, we've learned about the individual sports 
Isn't that part of the job? Uh, when you think about brand association um, and the ability to communicate, because uh, the more times you're on camera, the more times yeah. you're interviewed, wearing your suit, uh, you know, you're going to have your logos plastered all over it. You're going to have your hat uh, with, the, with the right logo on it. That's, that's part of the business of well, being a professional sport, sportsman, like, like a golfer. Same yeah, thing with well, a golfer. But I'll tell you, and this just occurred to me, you know, John. Um, there is no group of athletes in any sport that better represent their sport um, with honesty and personality than um auto drivers. drivers drivers you're right there isn't one yeah there i mean whether whether it's not i mean in north america whether it's nascar or indycar it's it's phenomenal well i don't know how many indycar uh drivers i've met over the years uh, virtually every year when the toronto indy came up one two even three drivers would come through the program and we'd sit and chat I don't remember a single one that wasn't a terrific interview. Right. Uh, open, honest, friendly, funny, all the things you would want. And but, that, but that's part of the business. Like, that's part of the job. That, that is part of the job description. Well, it should be part of the job description for hockey players, baseball, basketball, and football players too. But um, it really is impactful in, in yeah. auto racing. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the, where I really noticed it first for me uh, was uh, I was around the PGA Tour for four or five years doing both uh, ladies and men's events. Um, and uh, every, every Wednesday, um, most of the pros would, if you, were, if you were on the range, they would come up to you and say, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm going to produce the event. And automatically, you were the best, <laughs> you were the best friend of the golfer. Uh, because they knew how to build relationships and you were able to sit and eat with them in the clubhouse because they wanted you to know who they were because there's a chance that you'd put them on camera and therefore their logos would be seen and therefore their hat logo would be yeah. seen and every and it, it all goes back to how of marketability and building a brand and car race in nascar and indycar have done a magnificent job within their spheres of building their brands and building their drivers' brands, whatever that list of brands is. Well, we're in a, we're in agreement then. Um, again, thanks to James Hinchcliffe, and we'll uh, talk to him uh, somewhere down the road. That's it for us today. Uh, we'll catch you uh, next time. Come back. We'll be here. <laughs> Goodbye. Everybody.